0: sounded absolutely awesome tonight, uh, and I'm talk, not talking just about the band, I'm talking about you, guys. you guys sounded awesome, uh, good singing. Uh, I am incredibly excited uh, about tonight, uh, it's been a really, really long week, but I get to talk about the Book of Revelation tonight, and Revelation is one of, honestly, one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. If I was, you know, that proverbial, if you're stuck on a desert island and you only got to choose a couple books... If I only got to choose a couple books of the Bible, it would probably be the book of John, the book of Romans that the C groups are studying, and the book of Revelation. Uh, I think it's that cool uh, and and that important for my understanding of of who God is and kind of the plan he has for history. (coughs) Unfortunately, uh, Hollywood has done us a real disservice when it comes to understanding books like the Book of Revelation. There's a whole genre of Hollywood films, you know, apocalyptic end of days kind of stuff that I think has kind of skewed our understanding of Revelation a little bit. Pop quiz for you, okay? Can you name five actors who have played the devil or Satan in a movie? Robert De Niro. In... Uh, yeah, the, the Devil's Advocate or The Devil's Advocate. Like okay. okay, there's one. That wasn't here. Al Pacino. That was, <laughs> that was You're right, that was Al Pacino. I get You're right. Bill Ferrell, <laughs> Ferrell, and Will Bill Esenal. and Esenal. Okay. Yeah. Elizabeth and Yeah. Are you embarrassed that you know that one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Didn't Adam Sandler? Well,
1: yeah. Little Nikki was Little the son Nicky? of the devil. Oh, the
0: son of the devil. Ah, oh, oh, close enough. It <laughs> was <laughs> Harvey Keitel. Yeah, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel? Yeah, same Okay. Yeah. I'm sure he wouldn't care. Uh, <laughs> Brad Pitt? Uh, can you black? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. Okay. Meet Joe Black. Has anyone seen the movie Legend, one of Tom Cruise's early movies? Tim Curry played a fantastic devil in that? As good as you can play the devil, he did it. Who else? Any, any other ideas? Are you guys too old, for, or too, not too old, too young for the George Burns, Oh God, You Devil movies? Okay, so George Burns played the devil in a couple of movies? Any others you can think of? Jack Nicholson, he's a good devil. Witches of Eastwick. Okay, so if you kind of think about those images of the devil or Satan that you've seen portrayed in you know, Tom and Jerry cartoons or Jack Nicholson movies, what are some of the takeaways that you would have? How has your image of the devil or Satan been shaped by the media? Okay, somewhat comical. Someone not to be taken too seriously. Yeah. What's that? Mischievous. Mischievous? Okay. Almost in some movies, almost in a kind of good natured way. Okay. Any other thoughts? Doesn't always look human. Doesn't always look human, okay. Yeah, Tim Curry in, in, the, in the movie The Legend did not look human. He had, you know, big old horns and he was red and kind of your stereotypical devil. Yeah? I don't know if I can say this in church, but usually he's portrayed as fun. Yeah. Fun, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Sometimes he's portrayed as, as powerful as God and there's this kind of cosmic battle that's really in doubt, you know? Uh, the hero of the movie has to you know, close a portal or you know, do something else crazy to prevent the end of the world, that kind of thing. Well, what I like about the book of Revelation is it really kind of reshapes, I think. We want to say that we haven't been affected by media. I think we all have been to some degree. Um, as a matter of fact, statistics are showing that very few people who even call themselves, who call themselves Christians even believe in the existence of the devil anymore. Um, I think it's, the number is like 40% uh, believe in the devil. Another 60% think, well, ah, it, it's superstition, it, it's symbolism. And, and so today, as we think about the book of Revelation, uh, what I'm going to be discussing is kind of this spiritual battle, this battle that we're all in. And I think Revelation um, shines the light on that battle in, in three significant ways. The first is it kind of checks our, our worldview. The worldview that we have is how we understand what happens around us. Uh, the view that we have of the world and what's possible in the world. And the book of Revelation, I said this I think last week in the Q&A time, opens up the curtain. It says, you know, here's what you see going on. And then behind all of these realities, there are spiritual realities at play. And one of those spiritual realities is a very real being called Satan. And he's God's, he's God's adversary. Now, the book of Revelation does use a lot of symbolism to describe Satan, the devil. But that doesn't mean Satan is symbolic. Do you, do you catch the distinction there? The, the book of Revelation talks about Satan as being a, a red dragon. That doesn't mean that, though it, because it's using symbolic language, the devil is only a symbol for evil. The book of Revelation portrays Satan as a real being, though it uses symbolic language uh, to describe him. So, the book of Revelation corrects our, our worldview. It helps us understand that there's realities going on, and that Satan is a player in the cosmic reality that is, frankly, ours. We live in it, and Satan's a part of that. Uh, the book of Revolu- Revolution <laughs> no nope, wrong Revelation also serves to, to put us on guard against Satan. Satan isn't just this abstract reality. He, he's a reality that's very practical. If I was told you that we're going to be talking about Satan tonight, how many of you thought would, that would be a real practical discussion? I think the book of Revelation says it. it is. It's very practical because he impacts your life in very real ways. The word Satan means adversary. He's God's adversary, and so he's the adversary of, of all God's people. The book of Revelation kind of portrays him as attacking the church, sometimes in, in very... Frontal assault, just coming at you, persecuting the church, you know, uh, chasing the church. Matter of fact, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses. Actually, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. 16 verses. And, And here you get to see Satan just raging. Raging against God, raging against God's purposes, raging against God's people. This is what John records. He says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, or crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay, just pause there. Now This imagery is Pretty grotesque, isn't it? The woman about to give birth, and the dragon standing right there, ready to devour the child. Uh, Verse five picks it up. She gave birth to a male child, who one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, and she was uh, where she was at a place prepared by God which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So as you read that, it's pretty clear that the child is Christ. And though Satan is standing there ready to devour Christ. Christ is protected and Christ is caught up to heaven where he's reigning at the right hand of God, to the throne. Verses 7 and following. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon, his angels, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they loved loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea! For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short." Few more verses. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished, for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water out like a river from his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help came to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sands of the sea. So in that chapter, John is describing Satan's His rage, his wrath against the church, those who you know obey the commands of God. He's pursuing them. He, you know, he he failed to devour and defeat Christ, and now he's venting his rage on the church. And in many parts of the world, that looks like persecution. It looks like people who don't love their life even unto death, but are willing to die for the cause of Christ. But that's only one. Aspect of how Satan wages his war against the church. Satan is also said in that passage to be the deceiver. Uh, I'm reading right now this great series of books on World War II and the Marine Corps. In World War II, I love the Marine Corps and I love war. Um, Sounds weird. Uh, I'm not sick, I'm not. Uh, But these books... Talk about battles that we've probably all heard of, Guadalcanal and things like that. But it's also following this group that were waging war behind enemy lines in places like the Gobi Desert uh, and in South America in places. Uh, They were covert operatives. And and waging a kind of deceptive, behind-the-scenes, covert war. Satan does that too. His attacks aren't always frontal assaults. He tries to deceive. He tries to manipulate. He tries to trick and trip the church. Well, one of the themes of the book of Revelation is that Satan tries to counterfeit what God does and trick people with those counterfeits. For example, we know that God exists in a holy trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the book of Revelation, you see Satan mimicking that, counterfeiting it. With a, an unholy trinity. You have the, the dragon, who is Satan. And then you have a beast, who is created in the image of the dragon. Counterfeiting, mimicking Christ. And then you have another beast, who is called the false prophet, who, in a lot of ways, mimics and counterfeits what the Holy Spirit does. It's an unholy trinity. It's just a mockery of what God does. But Satan tries to deceive and, and lead, lead people astray with this counterfeit. This beast who is created in the image of God does so many things that imitate Christ. Strike that. The beast isn't the image of God. The beast is the image of dragon. Christ is the image of God. Christ in the book of Revelation is given many crowns. The beast has ten crowns. Jesus is given a name that is a worthy name. Satan, or I'm sorry, the beast has a blasphemous name. Jesus is the lamb that was slain, who is resurrected. The beast has a wound that appears to be a fatal wound. And he appears to have been raised from that fatal wound. And he leads people astray with that false miracle. Jesus seals all his followers with a mark on their forehead. The beast gives people a mark also. That false prophet who mimics the work of the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit, you just read the book of Acts, which was really kind of the book of the Holy Spirit working in the early church, and you see the Holy Spirit helping, aiding, giving the apostles the power to perform miracles and to, to win people over to the cause of Christ. Well, in the book of Revelation, the false prophet performs miracles and tries to lead people astray. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. The false prophet points people to the beast. Beyond that, you also see a fake church. In the Bible, the church is called a bride. The followers of Christ are a wonderful, pure, precious bride. In the book of Revelation, those who follow the beast, what's the image there? A prostitute. The real church serves Christ and tries to, to win people to Christ. This false church of the beast serves Satan by trying to seduce and win people to his cause. Seducing them with with riches and power and glory. So Satan's waging war. Sometimes it's a deceptive war. Other times it's a full out persecution of the church kind of war. Satan's waging a war. He's a real being. who's very involved in world affairs and he's filled with wrath, venting his wrath on the cause of Christ and on his people. But the book of Revelation also tells us that the war is won. Uh, one of my great stories about the book of Revelation is there's a seminary, and, and these seminary students were, were going out to play basketball, and they were in the gym, and, and they looked over it, and they saw one of the janitors of the school reading his Bible. And, and if you know seminary students, seminary students can be really arrogant. I was one. I can say that. Uh, and so they said, you know what? This guy's struggling reading his Bible. We'll, we'll go over, go over it and help him, you know, understand what he's reading. And, and so they said, hey, you know, what are you reading? And they saw that he was reading the book of Revelation. And they thought, oh, he really needs our help. So they asked, you know, do you understand what, what the book of Revelation is about? Do you understand it? And the simple janitor said. Yeah, absolutely, it's easy. Really? Oh, what, you understand it? Yeah, of course I understand it. Well, well, what's it about? Jesus wins. <laughs> Pretty good summary of the book of Revelation, right there. Jesus wins. Right now, in our devotions with my family, we're reading the book of Revelation. I suspect my kids understand the book of Revelation Better than I do. Because they don't get bogged down in all the details and the imagery. They get the big picture. Jesus wins. There's a battle going on. But just flip to Revelation 19. I love Revelation 19. Every time I read Revelation 19, I feel like I'm about to watch a prize boxing match. You guys ever watched boxing? And you know, before the fight starts, you get this really cheesy announcer in center ring who starts announcing... The two fighters, and they've all got their titles, right? There was marvelous Mar- marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Iron Mike Tyson, and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, and you know they all had their their names. Or Rocky Balboa, you know, the Italian stallion kind of thing. When you read the book of Revelation, uh, it's almost like John is serving as that center ring announcer. He said, "Here's the two, the two armies about to do battle." You've got the beast and his army and all the kings of the earth. But here, in this corner, you've got the king of kings, the lord of lords, ding, ding, let's go. And Revelation 19 is this wonderful record of Christ winning the battle. So yeah, we're in a battle. But the book of Revelation wasn't supposed to be this depressing book. It was a book filled with hope. Yeah, you're in a battle church in Asia Minor... John is saying, I know, you're being persecuted, but the battle's already won. I think, wait, wait, how does that fit with what you just said, that we're supposed to be on guard? If the battle's already won, why do we need to be on guard? Something I learned in living in Florida. We used to go to the beach all the time. We used to go to this beach up in St. Augustine, Augustine. How do you say it? Thank you, man. I grew up there and I can't even say it. Um, And we used to go there. And at certain times of the year, all these dead jellyfish would wash up on the beach. You know what I learned as a kid? Dead jellyfish can still sting. Uh, Satan's been defeated, but he still has sting to him. You guys might be too young to remember uh, the first Persian Gulf War. When Saddam Hussein was defeated after he had invaded Kuwait, and he was retreating? Does anyone remember what he did on his way out? Yeah, he lit all the oil fields on fire. That's what you see in Revelation chapter 12. The book, that chapter said, he understands his, his time is limited. His days are up. He's defeated. But it's made him all the more angry. So the war's already won. And yet, we still have to be on guard. So what does this mean, really, practically for us, you know, as we go about our our day tomorrow? Well, simply, I think we have to be ready for Satan's attacks and all the different ways they could come. It seems so hard for us to imagine persecution coming our way, doesn't it? But the the privilege that we have of being able to worship freely... we're definitely in the minority. Not only in the world today, but the church throughout its history hasn't hasn't enjoyed the same kind of liberties that we have enjoyed over the last couple hundred years. And there's no guarantee that those liberties will endure. There's not. Uh, One Catholic pastor, priest, recently said, I expect that in my lifetime... Christians are going to be ridiculed in the public square. I expect in my, the next generation, he doesn't have children, right? Because he's a Catholic priest. Uh, In the next generation, in their lifetime, Christians will languish and suffer in prison. And in their grandchildren's lifetime, Christians will be executed in the public square. (laughs) Sounds so unreal and probably a little bit hyperbolic. But I think it behooves Christians all the time prepare for that possibility. Jonathan Edwards was one of my favorite theologians, and he wrote when he was like 19 years old, he, he wrote this series of resolutions. And he, you know, he wrote things like, I resolved never to do anything today that I would be ashamed to do unless, if I knew Christ was coming back at the end of the day. He also, and it sounds morbid, said, I resolve to think about my death and mortality daily. Why? Well, because I think it becomes less scary if you think about it. The more you think about it, the, and in the light of what Christ has done for us, the less it holds its sting. Paul was able to, I think he thought about his death all the time. He lived on the verge of death all the time. And yet he was able to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So I think one of the themes, one of the messages of the book of Revelation is prepare for it, Church. Satan's waging war, and it might mean persecution. Probably more frequently for us, it means deceit and seduction. Satan is waging war, whether it comes in the form of persecution or not, he is waging a war against us, the church. He's doing it covertly and seductively. And we need to be aware of that. How do you guard against that seduction, that deception of Satan? I think the primary way is you become so familiar with the real deal that you can identify the, the counterfeit like that. You know, the best way to ide- learn to identify counterfeit dollar bills is to spend a lot of time with real dollar bills. I wish I could spend more time with hundred dollar bills, but you know, I'll, I'll be content with one dollar bills. The best way to identify the, the deceptions and the lies and the counterfeits that Satan presents us is to grow more and more in our understanding of God, of the real, of what he's called us to do, of his commands, and of what he's promised us. So that we won't be allured by the trinkets and the baubles that Satan passes off as the real treasure. We'll see those things like riches and fame and glory and and pleasure as what they are. Deceptive trinkets and baubles. It will be more focused on the true treasure, which is Christ. The true joy that we can have in Him. Here's the way I see Satan attacking me almost daily. He accuses me. And he tries to to beat me down and say, you can't possibly accomplish anything good for God because you're a sinful, sinful, treacherous worm of a human being who doesn't deserve God's love. Anyone else have to deal with that? Satan's accusations. I think that's maybe why I love Martin Luther so much. Okay, here's a confession. I'm a theology nerd. I actually have an app on my phone called the Martin Luther Accuser. uh, Or no, I'm sorry, the Martin Luther Insulter. And so you just hit insult me now, and it pulls up this random insult from Martin Luther. Uh, But I love the guy. He had this way with language. And he said, when the devil accuses you, here's what you do. You mock him. You mock him. And when he says you're a a sinful loser, you say, yeah, so what of it? You should have seen what I did last week. Then you'd really know the full story, Satan. I know I'm sinful. I know I don't deserve God's love. But he's given it anyway. I, I know my sin, but I know God's grace, and God's grace is bigger than my sin. You throw his accusation back at him. When he reminds you, this is Luther too, when he reminds you of your past Remind him of his future. Remind him that he's already lost. Mock him, and he'll go fleeing. I love that. You know, it seems like the more and more Satan attacks the church, the more and more the church continues to grow. He doesn't have the power he thinks he has. We shouldn't give him more power than he actually has. He's real, he's vehemently opposed to God and his purposes. But he's defeated, he's wounded, he's dying. Christ is one. You see this over and over again in the church. One of the early church fathers said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When I was in high school, I went to a real small church. My dad was the pastor. We anyway, had this family in our church. They were missionaries, back on furlough. My name was the Fabians, and they were in Papua New Guinea, they had gone back, and they were ministering there, translating the Bible uh, into the native language of, I can't tell you which tribe, but a tribe in Papua New Guinea. They got word one day that, that Edmund, the father of this family, had been murdered while he was on the field. And, and we prayed for the family, and it was just a tremendous blow to the kind of gospel outreach you know, in, in that part of the world. But Satan didn't win that battle. But what happened is his son Jonathan, came back and became a linguist and went with his mother, who is now the widow, and his sister, and went back and continued the work. It shows God's grace, God's provision, God's purposes stand. Satan does not win. The verse that I love out of that chapter that we read, they've overcome them. They've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. There's a lot I don't understand about the book of Revelation. I mean, Bob and I and Josiah are going to say that probably every week we're up here, right? There's a lot we don't understand, but there's a lot we get. We understand we're in a war, and we understand the war has won. And we can live in light of that. Uh, we're going to stop there and open it up. Josiah, you're joining me up here, right? Yeah. Okay, because I'm flying without Bob, and that makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, so you gotta share this load a little bit. Um, what questions do you have? You know, either based on tonight, or your study of the Book of Revelation, or whatever.
1: We have a new record. This is like the most amount of questions we've ever had, and we'll do our best to address some of these. But honestly, when I look at some of these questions, I'm like, wow, I have no idea what to say, and I'm not just gonna make something up. One. I want to keep it real. Two, I'm not that smart. So some of these questions, we may need to like get together and dig into the word and try and figure out what is really true. Um, and a way to do that, we'd love to do that with you. Dan's going to be in the IMU Starbucks tomorrow from 1 to 3. I'll be there Wednesday from, 1 to, from 2 to 4.30. It's in those little green bulletins that are on the same little table where the name tags were. So check that out on your way out. Um, let's address some of these questions. And you guys can feel free, if you have something, you can raise your hand, or just shout it out, and we'll do our best to address that. And if any of you guys have some ideas, feel free to yeah, contribute. Totally. Uh, here's one that I thought was was really interesting. If we believe that God is all-powerful and all-good, why would God allow Satan to exist and deceive his people?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. you want to answer your own? I'll let <laughs> you start. I'll let you start it off. <laughs> yeah, I think what you see throughout the whole Bible is that Yes, God is absolutely all-powerful. Satan is wicked and evil extraordinaire, right? And yet, Satan, in an unwilling way, plays a part in God's cosmic plan. You know, when you look back at, at the crucifixion, right? The crucifixion is the most evil act in all of history. Satan was probably rejoicing... And yet it was all part of God's plan. Um, So somehow, and this is where certainly I wish I had more wisdom, but God hasn't given us all the details. Somehow, Satan plays a role in God's cosmic plan.
1: So if God plans to destroy Satan in time, why is he he waiting so long? Oh, yeah,
0: that's a good one. Um, And I want a real answer. (laughs) That last one wasn't real? No. no. <laughs> okay. You know, there's a story in one of the Gospels where, where Jesus, he's just crossed, I think it's the, the Galilean Sea, and he's now in this area called uh, the Decapolis. And, and a whole bunch, there's this man who's been living in the tombs, and he's been possessed by a legion of demons. And, and they come shrieking, the man comes to Jesus, and the demons are shrieking. You know, we know who you are, you're the son of God, don't destroy us. Implying that Jesus could have destroyed them, right? But Jesus doesn't. He, he casts them out of the demons and into what? Pigs. And then the pigs run off the cliff and, you know, commit kari kari, uh, And that's the end of them. Why? The only answer I come up with is it wasn't time. Uh, God has a plan. Part of that plan is that evil be allowed to flourish for a time. Uh, You see that even back in the Old Testament. The Canaanites were an evil, wicked people, and God said, I'm not ready to judge them yet. Their time's coming. I think that kind of goes for the world at large. Uh, There's a time when Satan has been unleashed to wreak his havoc. And it's, again, it's a part of God's cosmic plan, and I don't understand all of it, but that's my, as real as I can get, answer. Yeah. Uh, something
1: else I think really ties in well with that is this question: um, What does it look like to live with the conviction that God that God has won the ultimate victory, but also live within the reality that Satan still does have some power in the world today?
0: Can I punt on that one? Just because you're going to be touching on that in a couple weeks, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. What it means, have, then I just box you in. <laughs> uh, but Josiah is going to be talking more about what it means to live in light of the victory. Uh, I think what it means to live in light of the fact that Satan is very real is, I guess I should have said this earlier, I think we ought to be very prayerful. um, Very prayerful people. That A, God would make us wise to the the schemes of Satan. That God would protect us. That God would strengthen (coughs) us to to withstand the attacks of Satan. Um, Maybe if we understood the book of Revelation more and took it to heart more, uh, we'd be a people that are very... But that are known to be a prayerful people. So that would kind of jump to the top of my list of what it means to live in light of God's ultimate victory and the reality that Satan's kind of alive and well and prowling around like a lion. Yeah, there are a lot more questions. There's
1: one particularly that I, that I think is important that we talk about. And I think this kind of deals with the issue of um, conditional salvation or unconditional salvation. Uh, Is it possible that Satan could deceive us, and uh, although God has still won and rescued us from our sin, is it possible that Satan can deceive us and we can lose our salvation? Is that something that we need to be in fear of? Okay. Uh, I'll take that in
0: kind of two parts. Uh, Is it possible for Satan to deceive us? And the second part is, is it possible to lose our salvation? Is it possible for Satan to deceive us? Are you guys cold? Okay, I'm like my teeth are chattering. That's why I'm stuttering sometimes. Uh, yes, it's possible for Satan to deceive us. Every time I sin, it's because I've been in some way deceived, uh, either by myself, my sinful tendencies, or you know, Satan. Uh, he is a deceiver, and he can deceive us. Um, is it possible that he would deceive us, you know, unto destruction, where we would lose our salvation? And to me, the answer for that is no. Um, the passage in John. And I wish I could remember the exact chapter and verse where Jesus says, The Father has given me, given you to me, and and I hold you in my hand. And not even Satan can pluck you out of my hand. I take that to mean that we are very secure because God protects his church. Um, Another, I'm just going to throw out random passages. You guys have to use your concordances and find them. Uh, Another passage talks about the time being cut short of are suffering, the church is suffering, uh, because if it had been prolonged, uh, not even the church would stand. And then the kind of quote is, if that's possible, implying it's not possible. That's a rambling, rambling. See, Bob needs to be here to clarify what we <laughs> spew out, right?
1: I think that was good. Let's thank Dan for, for yeah, that. Yeah.